0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Um, I, I want to just... Uh... I want to ask for Mary's intercession. So can we just pray again and just ask for our lady's intercession? And just like, let's pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Guys, this is our uh, last Ablaze class. How do you feel about that? I know you're devastated. I know it. I can feel it. Claire and I are devastated. So uh, thanks for taking this journey with us. This, was, uh, this is a whole new year of just trying to figure out how we want to do this kind of stuff to uh, um, do confirmation formation. But yeah, this is the last one. You're getting confirmed next month on uh, Divine Mercy, the weekend of Divine Mercy. So not, uh, I mean, it's technically Divine Mercy Sunday, but it'll be on Saturday. Um, Father Joe and I will be doing uh, your confirmations. I think he's going to, he's doing all of it. He's putting the oil on your head. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's how that's working. I don't think I can do that because I'm not the pastor. But, um, yeah, Divine Mercy Sunday, which is a really awesome day to, uh, to be confirmed. So, way back in the fall at our first Ablaze session, I talked to you guys about, like, the end goal of this whole process. I talked to you about what this whole thing is about. Like, the end goal of this process is, like, we are not arriving, like, confirmation is not going to be a finish line. It's not as though April 30th you're going to be busting through the finish line Oh, thank God, I'm finally done. I have to go to the stupid classes anymore. Like, you don't have to go to the classes anymore, but, like, it's not as though you're done. Like, it's not, so, it's not as though you're crossing a finish line. You're arriving, actually, you're arriving finally at the starting gate, right? Confirmation brings you finally to the starting gate. Like, it's, if you, I don't, I doubt many of you watch horse racing or maybe NASCAR. Anybody watch NASCAR? Nobody. Oh, we got one person. Okay. I want you to imagine it's like, like leading the horse from the paddock to the starting gate, like that's what this whole process has been. It's been moving you to the place where like now we're finally ready to to launch you into mission, to be deployed, right? That's what this, this what this session is about. It's about getting you a vision for what like what this whole thing is about. Like once the once this Holy Spirit comes down upon you, at your confirmation, it's like, why? What's the point of that? What's the point of doing this? What's the point of going forward? What's the point of stepping up and doing this? So confirmation, it's the sacrament that is launching you into deployment. It's launching you into deployment. Like you're about to go do something. It is not, it is not, it is not, it is not um, like you confirming your faith. Right? I've been to a lot of confirmations where bishops have preached like, when you were a baby, your parents said yes for you. But now that you're old enough, you get to say yes for your faith. No, that's, that's, not, that's not right. Sorry, Bishop, that's wrong. Right? There's, that's not what it is. That's a great Lutheran theology of confirmation. It's not, that's, that's not what we believe as Catholics about what confirmation is. It's not either um, like the Catholic bar mitzvah. Anybody ever been to a bar mitzvah? Or a bat mitzvah? Do you know what a bar mitzvah is? Do you know what a bar mitzvah is? Okay, so it's, for, it's, it's a Jewish custom. When Jewish boys and girls turn 12, they're technically considered, they go through this ceremony, they read some Torah and temple, and they're technically considered adults in the community. Um, they're not adults; they're twelve, right? Anyway, um, so but that's also that's that's what a lot of people think about confirmation—that like now you are an adult in the faith. Also wrong. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. That is not what it is. Let's look at this quote on the screen here. Confirmation is the sacrament of initiation by which God passes on the grace of Pentecost and perfects the grace received in baptism. In other words, like God is completing, God is completing what he began in you at your baptism. Something extraordinary happened when you were baptized. If you think back to that very first session, we talked about the Christian story as the story of being rescued. Right? Jesus comes to rescue us. If you're facing not if you're not facing me right now, some of you can you like actually turn your bodies and face this way, please. Yeah. Like Jesus on the cross goes to war against our enemy to rescue you from the clutches of sin, death, hell, Satan, right? Like you've been rescued and you've been adopted into God's family and the Holy Spirit was given to you to begin the living of the Christian life. But in, in confirmation, right, God is completing that initiation. What we see in Scripture, you see in the Acts of the Apostles, you see these two separate sort of outpourings of the Holy Spirit. You see people being baptized then you see this whole dialogue, this conversation well, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And they're like, no. So they lay hands and they pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So there's this separate gifting of the Holy Spirit. It's a completing of what began in you at your baptism, right? And also this line, it's the passing on the grace of Pentecost. Like you're getting your own little mini Pentecost. That's what confirmation is. What ha- Someone please boldly raise your hand. Tell me what happened at Pentecost. The disciples were in the upper room ever. What happened at Pentecost? Yeah, so you have these apostles. By the way, who these guys have seen all of Jesus' miracles. They, they've listened to his teaching. They watched him walk on water. They've seen him rise, raise people from the dead, cure the blind, raise the like cure lepers, raise crippled people. Like they've seen the immense power in this man, and they just saw him get crucified, and they're scared out of their mind. They're locked in the upper room. Jesus has appeared to them already in the morning of the resurrection. He says, "Do not be afraid." But it's not until they receive the Holy Spirit do they leave the room. Like, they see the risen Lord, but they're still staying in the room. This is extraordinary when you think about it. Like, they've had this encounter with the risen Jesus, but it's not until the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, right? This, this I love this little, little, little image here. I love it and I don't like it. I love it because Mary's in the center of it, right? Mary was in the, in, the, in the room with them at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends upon them, just like the Holy Spirit descended upon her at the Annunciation, Here's what I don't like about this depiction. So many of the depictions of the Pentecost scene, they have the disciples, like, with these little, like, flames above their head, like little birthday candles, right? So the actual word in the Greek, it's, I mean, they didn't have flamethrowers in the ancient world, but they, it, the, the, a better translation is massive tongues of fiery flame, right? It's this, ma- you have to picture this massive, like, like flamethrower descending upon the apostles, it's a very different image than just like, ooh, like happy birthday to Jesus or the church or something, right? It didn't quite look like that. It didn't quite look like that. So like these disciples, after this moment, after the Holy Spirit descends upon them, they leave the upper room and they charge into a Roman Empire that just put Jesus to death. They charge into a Roman Empire where they suffered some of the worst martyrdoms we can imagine. They went to their death, proclaiming Christ, sharing the gospel. They were so filled with the Holy Spirit that as they left the upper room, they're like preaching and talking and like conversing with all these people. And people are like, what is with these people? Like people were convinced, this is hilarious, people were convinced that the, the, that the apostles were, were hammered, that they were drunk. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning. They're like, what are these guys drinking? What's going on, right? They were so filled with joy. They were so filled with an exuberance. They were so filled with life that people were like, the only, we've only seen this when people drink too much wine, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they change the world. That's what's going to happen to you. That's what's going to happen to you. And you might not feel it. You know what? You might not feel anything as the, the oil hits your forehead, but you also might. Like I know people who've like, they've said, I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me. The great thing about the sacraments is that the validity of them, the efficacy of them, it doesn't depend on what you feel. It doesn't depend on like, oh yeah, I felt like a tingling In my hands? No, that's not how it works. Like, it'll work regardless of how you feel. It'll work regardless of how you feel. So, like, that grace of Pentecost is going to be given to you. Like, that's the thing that changed the world. Pentecost is what changed the world. Pentecost is what changed the world. Like, do you know why we live in a world where there is, like, woven into the culture this underlying notion of human dignity? Like, do you know why we live in a culture why people care about the rights of women? Why we educate people? Why there's charities and hospitals and universities? Do you know, like, the reason why we live in a world where there's adoption agencies and where we care about things like justice and racism, where we think that the voice of victims matters, the reason why we live in that world, it's not because, well, that's what a just and good and decent society has. Our world has those values in its bloodstream because of Christianity, because of Jesus, because of... Like, this event, because these people met the Lord, and they brought that life-changing encounter into the world. Like, I mean, it wasn't even necessarily the church. It was the fact that the Holy Spirit filled people, and they drove them out into the world to change the world, to reshape the world in a more Christian way. Like, all these things that we take for granted, all the things that, like, get people so riled up in the news, all these issues of racism and justice and this and this, the reason why we even care about it is because of, like, Jesus. In the ancient world, nobody cared. If you had more power, you won. If you were a woman, if you, were a woman you didn't count. If you were a baby, you could be left outside of a city, in a city dump to die if you had some birth defect that your father didn't like. There weren't hospitals. You didn't take care of people who weren't your own. The ancient world was brutal, and it was Christianity, the Holy Spirit, that changed it. So this sacrament that you're going to receive it's a sacrament of evangelization say evangelization. evangelization Say it like you mean it Evangelization That was close. All right. All right. So evangelization evangelization is not just what priests do or nuns do or what clares do or what deacons do. Clare's Evangelization is the mission of the church. It's it's your mission. You were baptized, this is your mission. The mission of evangelization is the mission of the church. So this process that we've been going through this year and what you're going to receive a confirmation, it's about, it's about been getting you ready to be deployed to carry out the mission. I think if you were to ask the average Catholic, what's the mission? Well, let me just ask you, like bracketing now that you know that it's evangelization, what do you think the average Catholic would say? Like your mission as a Catholic is to what? Andrew, I'm just calling on you. Your mission as a Catholic is to, or the goal of being a Catholic is to get to, get to heaven. Who would agree that that's what the average person would say? I think so too. I think the average person would say that the goal of Christianity, the goal of being a Catholic is to get to heaven. Um, it's like yes and no. Yes and no. Let me share with you an image. And if you could just humor me, I just want you to close your eyes as I just kind of share this image with you. I just want you to imagine that you're, like, tucked in your bed, comfortably asleep, dreaming, sweet dreams, right? And into the dream comes this sort of disquieting sense that settles upon you. Like, you start noticing that you're agitated. You stir. You begin to wonder what that smell is in your room. Like, in your deep, unconscious mind, it's trying to sort it all out. And and then you suddenly realize, oh, that's the smell of smoke. And you're suddenly brought awake. And you sit upright in bed. There's adrenaline like flooding your body like and you're like yeah that's that is smoke and now you start to hear the smoke alarm the smoke detectors going off and you begin to notice how hot it is in your room and how thick the smoke is in your room and how tough it is to breathe in your room because you left the door open when you were sleeping and you looked out the door and you peered down the hallway and you can see flames literally crawling up the the walls of your of your uh, of your upstairs of your house and you shut the door real fast your entire house is engulfed with fire, and you begin screaming for help, maybe thinking that like, that you can escape out the window, but you think there's just, it's just too high, and the flames and the toxins have begun to choke you, and you're beginning to feel asphyxiated, and you're getting lightheaded. Before you can open the window, you kind of just collapse to the floor, and you tell yourself, I can't believe this is how I die. Like, and for a moment, you start thinking about all the things that you did and all the things that you never got to do and how sad you are that you never got to say goodbye to your family. and You think, is my family out of the house? Are they safe? Do they know that I'm still in here? And then like right before you pass out, you think you see something like someone, perhaps you think you see someone coming through the flames. And then there's just blackness. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're gasping for air. You notice the cold night air brushing against your skin. You're outside. Someone has got you. And you feel something on your face and on your nose. It's this plastic mask, mask and it's, it's pumping oxygen at a high rate into your, into your lungs. That's when it dawns upon you that, that someone's holding you. Someone's, cr- like, cradling your lifeless body, hair, bearing your entire weight. And you open your eyes and you're looking into the eyes of a firefighter, and he takes off his mask, and he says, you're safe. He says, I got you. You're going to be okay. And he, then you ask, who are you? And the man says, I'm Jesus, and I need your help. And that's when you realize that there's no other fire trucks around. There's no other firefighters running around. It's just you and him. And he, and he sits you up, and you look down the street at all the other houses engulfed in flames, and he says, will you help me get them? Friends, you can open your eyes if you've got your eyes still closed. Like, that's the mission. That is the mission. The Christian life, it's about public, listen, it's about public witness and about rescue. It's about public witness and rescue. It's not about privately held convictions. That's what our secular culture is pushing us into. Again, if you got your back, turned to me, Gavin. I want you to turn and face me, please. The Christian life is not about privately held beliefs. It's about public witness and rescue. It's about doing something out in the public sphere. It's about bringing to bear into the world something real and true that actually changes the world. It's not about, like, it's not a little hobby. What you personally quietly believe. It's not like, like I don't know if your grandma's, like, knit or crochet or anything. It's like, I'm just going to knit and crochet until Jesus calls me home. Like, that's not Christianity. That's what the world wants Christianity to be. Like, you just be quiet. Keep it to yourself. Don't let people know. But you can have it like a private little hobby. Like, guys, today our world, our world needs witnesses to hope. It needs witnesses to hope. I don't know if you realize this. This is the fifth year right now. This is the fifth year in a row where life expectancy in the United States has gone down again. Fifth year in a row where life expectancy keeps decreasing. In the most advanced country, with the most advanced medical system ever developed, life expectancy keeps dropping. Why? Sociologists call them deaths of despair. Deaths of despair. Suicide, overdose, and cirrhosis of the liver. Suicide, overdose, and cirrhosis of the liver. That people are losing the will to live. They're drinking themselves to death. They're numbing themselves. They're just pumping their bodies full of all sorts of chemicals, drugs, and all sorts of things. We're killing ourselves. We're numbing ourselves. We're escaping. We don't want to live anymore. Deaths of despair, unavoidable deaths. In particular, your, your peers, your age group, your age group needs hope, needs hope. Statistically, this is the most hopeless generation of all time. And, like, my generation is included in this, like, the iGen and, and the Millennials. It's so the most jaded, fearful, drug-addicted, drug numbed-out, checked-out generation of all time. And, like, that was, that was all before COVID. That was all before COVID. And, like, let's just imagine, like, what COVID has done to those numbers. We're, we haven't even begun to start figuring out what, what the effect of COVID has been. Like, do you know what the number one killer... Of, of kids in your age demographic is. The number one killer. It's suicide. And look, I, and I say this with great reverence because the chances are many of us in this room have been touched by that in some respect. Whether it's someone we know, a family member, a friend, someone down the street, like, like within my first three months of being a priest all five of my classmates all five of my classmates we all did funerals for people who either killed themselves or overdosed on drugs my one classmate did three uh heroin overdoses within his first two months like it's 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 unbelievable the tragedy of all of this i have a friend who's a brand new emt um firefighter emt and the stories he tells of like the young the people he gets calls to for young people look and like we're not, I don't want to get into too many details of all this, but because there are many and complex reasons why psychologically, mental health, why someone gets to the point where they see that that's the only way out for them. But it really boils down to like some general reasons, loneliness and isolation and no connections and a lack of God. Because without God, you have no hope, you have no meaning, you have no direction, you have no purpose. Guys, like your life as Christians, your life is meant to bear witness to the reality of God. Like somehow, because of the way you live, the way you interact, the way you talk, the way you think, the way you take time, waste time on people, because of the values that you have and the way that you love, like people are, are meant to like question or be led to believe like, like there's something different about her. There's something different about him. Like what, what do they have that I don't have? And the answer is, is meant to be God. Your life is meant to bear witness to that. It's to generate a question in other people. Like you're called upon to bear into the world the love of Jesus Christ, which means that you genuinely care about people. I mean, look, I know there's a lot of annoying people. There's a lot of annoying people in the world. There's a lot of annoying people in your school, in your classes. I get it. People drive us crazy, like... The best part about priesthood is the people. The hardest part about priesthood is the people. It's true. People can be really tough to love and tough to walk with and tough to be with. But chances are you're that annoying person for someone else. And it doesn't change the fact that you're called to like love with kindness and compassion. Here's something that's very helpful. Someone told me at one time, you don't have to like everybody. You know that? You don't have to like everybody. But you do have to seek to love everybody. You don't have to be friends with everybody. But you really ought to be, like, kind and loving to everybody. Like, that's what we're called to be. St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he talks about love. He says love is patient, love is kind. It's not boastful. It's none of those things, right? You're bent to you're meant to bring into the world the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. And what's the hope of the gospel? Like, oh, yeah, if you follow these rules, you, you might not go to hell. That's not the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is this, that, like, that thing in your heart that longs for more, that refuses to be, like, to just settle for mediocrity, that thing in your heart that, like, that desire for fullness, that longing you have for things to be set right, for to be free of hopelessness, that thing in your heart that says, I meant for love and connection and communion and friendship, like, that thing in your heart has a name. And it's real. His name is Jesus. Like, the hope of the gospel is that, like, what stirs your heart actually has an answer. Like, there's that longing in your heart for more, and there's actually an answer to that. His name is Jesus. There's a banquet that corresponds to the hunger. That's the hope of the gospel. Like, hey, starving people, guess what? There's a thing called food. Hey, thirsty people, guess what? There's a thing called drink. Hey, lonely people, there's a thing called love, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. When you look at the New Testament, you are called, like, you look at the New Testament Acts of the Apostles in particular, going back to what Andrew said, like most people think that the mission is to to like leave this earth and go to heaven. Like just like forget you earth, I'm done with you, I'm going to heaven. That's not the mission. When you look at the Acts of the Apostles, they ran into the world to change and transform the world. They were the agents of transformation in the world. Most Christians do not have that view. Most Christians have the view that my job is to be good, die, and leave my body and float up and be a soul in heaven. That isn't Christianity. That's like Platonism or Gnosticism. That's, that's not Catholicism. It's not the gospel. It's not the Bible. Look, like Jesus gives us these powerful images in the scriptures. He says, you are meant to be salt and light and leaven. Salt and light and leaven. You're the agents of transformation in the world. Like salt. Anybody here do any cooking? All right. So like you add salt to like pretty much everything that you cook. Why do you add salt? Anybody know? What is the function of salt when you're cooking? Raise your hand again if you cook. You cook? Sometimes? Alright, do you add salt to things? What does it do? You don't know. Who knows? Do you know? Everett, what does it do? It uh, preserves the food and flavors it. Okay, so salt can it can do those two things. So like it can it can preserve meat. But the, what was the other thing you said? It does what? It, it. it brings out the flavor. But too much salt, what happens? It's too overpowering. Yeah, go ahead. It becomes salty and nasty. No one wants to eat that, right? You put a little bit of salt, even like on something like salad, right? a little bit of salt on bread, a little bit of salt brings out the flavor. That's its function. Jesus is saying, that's your job. Like you are meant to bring out the goodness of people. Like things are supposed to be better because you are there. Like when you go to class, because you're a Christian, because you're confirmed, because you know Jesus, you are, like, it's supposed to be better because you're there. Like, you bring out the goodness in people, the goodness in situations. The other image with salt that I learned recently that I think is really cool is that it has a military function in the ancient world. So when they would conquer a territory um, to, like, totally level it, to destroy it, to make sure that nothing would grow there again, they would put salt into the earth. They would salt the earth. Like, there's something about your role as a Christian also is to confront evil. Like, where there is evil, where there is, like, Wrong, where people are being cruel and, and vindictive and manipulative. Like, you are meant to be the one who says, I'm putting a stop to that. Like, there's a militaristic overtone to that. The other one is light. I, I mean, raise your hand if you were scared of the dark when you were a kid. Raise your hand if you're still scared of the dark. Okay, some of us, right? Like, who did the thing where, like, where you're shutting off the lights in the basement? Like, I remember doing this because the washing machine dryer was all in the back part of the basement. You take your load down there. You, like, turn off the lights, like as you're escaping, and then you turn off the last light, and you're like, you like go up the stairs real fast. Anybody else do that, or is that just me? All right, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, is it's going to get me. Light, like, its, it's function in the ancient world was to, it brings hope, it dispels fear, right? Like, when you go into situations, Jesus is saying, because you're there, people are meant to have a greater hope. Like, you're meant to be a witness to hope. Like, you're meant to help dispel people's fears, Like, there's a lot of people you know who are suffering and struggling. And you're meant to be a witness to hope. Light in the ancient world, it wasn't light bulbs. How did they get light in the ancient world? Aiden, how did they get light in the ancient world? Fire. Fire. And fire is also what? Light. Light. It is, if you're cold, fire does what for you? It warms you up, right? It brings you comfort, right? Fire warms what's cold. Also, that's your job, too. Like, there's people who are, like, kind of sitting in the cold of life, isolated from people. Like, because you're in that situation, you bring in warmth there. Like, you guys all know, you've been in situations, there's people you get around where, like, your heart just, like, clams up, closes up. You know that there's people in your world that you, if, you, if, you're in a situation, if you're in a situation with them, you're like, I, I'm, like I'm just, I'm just going to sit. I don't want to open myself up to anything. You close yourself off. But you also know that there's people in your life who like to be around them, it like disarms you. Like their kindness, their goodness. Like I think about my grandpa who uh, this past January, he's been deceased two years. Like to be around him, like everything and everyone just melted. Like he was like a spring thaw. Everywhere he went, just things just thawed. Hearts thawed. People just, they, were, they couldn't help but just be like, they couldn't help but feel loved in his presence. And like that's, that's your job. Because there's people who need that from you. And this idea of leaven, right, if you ever make bread, bread needs a leavener to to make it rise. It's this silent presence of growth, this silent presence of transformation. Like, life should be better because you are there. Like, this is what transformed the world once in the Roman Empire. It's pretty amazing. It was illegal to exist for the first 300 years as a Christian. Like, it wasn't even just, like, not the official religion. It was illegal to exist, to be a Christian, you know, you know, at Fourth of July when we uh, you buy Roman candles, who's ever played with Roman candles Fourth of July like you use it like a like a launcher, you fire at people, right? You think you're in like a Harry Potter scene or something. Do um, you know where the phrase Roman candle came from? It came from the persecution of the Christians in the early church, where Nero, to illuminate his city streets at night, would take Christians, douse their bodies in oil, put them on these. Posts throughout the city streets and would set them on fire, burn them alive to give light to the city streets. They just would do this routinely. You'd just be walking through the streets of Rome and there's Christians just being set on fire. And it was in the first 300 years where that was the case where Christianity spread and grew. Spread and grew. It's unbelievable. I want to show you this video, it's pretty amazing. Actually, I want to I want to say this first, before I show this video. Um, like when you think about the first apostles, like Jesus ascends to the Father, He returns to heaven, and He took, He looks at His disciples. He says, "Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel, baptizing people." Like their mission was to bring the gospel to the world. And you think about those first apostles. There weren't twelve. There were eleven, right? Because Judas had you know, it doesn't matter what he did. He can't. He hanged himself. All right. So we have we have uh, eleven minus Judas. And they're thinking about, all right, so like, what do we have at our resources? What do we have at our availability? What do we have at hand to do this mission? So you picture them kind of getting together, talking through this, like, okay, so what do we got? Do we have any bishops? No. Do we have any priests? No. Uh, Do we have any deacons? No. Do we have anybody who's trained in theology? No. Do we have any experts in Christianity? No. Do we have any religious Orders? Do we have any Jesuits or Dominicans yet? No, we got none of those. Do we have any seminarians, people studying for the priesthood or seminaries? No, we got none of those. Any Christian believers? Okay, yeah, we got a few hundred of those. Uh, do we have any countries with Christians in them? Yeah, there's one. Do we have any church buildings? No. Do we have any schools or universities? No. Are there any gospels written yet? No. Uh okay, crap. All right. Do we have any money? Not really. Uh, Do we have any experience in foreign missionaries? Do any of y'all know any foreign languages? No? Okay, great. Uh, Do we have any influences in high places? Anybody know, like, Caesar? No? All right, great. Uh, What's the society's attitude towards us? Um, Ignorant at best, hostile at worst. Like, okay, let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. They didn't have any of those things. What did they have? What did they have? They had the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the other part. They had their testimony. They had their story. They had like their story and they had the story of the resurrection. That's what changed the world. They told their story and they told his story. Guys, that's the only thing that's going to do it again. And look, maybe you think like, I don't have a story right now. I'm only 14. I'm in eighth grade. I'm in ninth grade. I don't have a story. Like just give it time. Give it time. But like your willingness to share your story, to tell your testimony to other people, that's what changes the world. Book of Revelation says they defeated him, right? The Christians defeated him. The him in there is Satan. They defeated him by the blood of the lamb. And then it says this, and the word of their testimony, by telling their story, that's what defeated him. All right, now let's watch this video. This is pretty incredible. This is a visualization of the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire for the first 400 years where it was illegal to exist to be a Christian. Just take this in. Just take this in as we watch it. John were hauled before the Sanhedrin, they were arresting the Acts of the Apostles, and they were saying to them, we, you have to stop preaching this man's name, you have to stop. And they said, we can't, we can't, and that was the line they said, these men have turned the world upside down, you've turned the world upside down. And that happened because, like, it was the blood of the martyrs. It was men and women willing to witness and share the faith to share their story. Look, like, you guys, you have your own mission field. That's what I want to talk about next, this idea of your mission field, that God has planted you in a particular time and place in history. Like, you could have been born in sub-Saharan Africa. You could have been in Saudi Arabia. You could have been in the Philippines. But you're not. You're here, right? You live in this part of the world at this time. And God has surrounded you with a particular set of people that you bump into, right? Not just simply classmates, not just simply family, but people that like you'll see at the grocery stores, people that you'll see at department stores, people that you'll see walking down the street, that there are particular people, concrete people that God is putting on your path, people who are starved for kindness, starved for love, starved for just a smile like St. Gemma, right? People are starved for this. And look, you're being asked to reach them. And you're not going to do it perfectly. I promise you, you're not going to do it perfectly. But that's okay. That is okay. I want to show you one more clip. This is from, who's seen the Chosen series? This is the end of uh, season one, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, which is also, if you were at Mass this morning, at 8 o'clock Mass, that was the gospel we had. So Jesus has this encounter with this woman, this woman who is, she, you know, think about, like, who's who's, uh, a first-round draft pick for, you know, evangelization squad One Hundred and One. this woman really wouldn't make the cut. She'd be passed over. She was a woman of like deeply sexual, immoral uh, history. She's been with five men. men. The man she's with right now isn't her husband. All sorts of adultery, infidelity. And like, Jesus approaches her. He approaches her and he changes her life and she goes into the, her town and she evangelizes them. Let's just watch this. Oh wait, that's a clip. Uh, picture... Thank you.
1: Why don't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the cool of the morning? Yeah,
2: well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come with you in the heat see so kindly reminds me.
1: Why won't they be seen with you?
2: Long story.
1: I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it.
2: Amazing what a parched throat will do. that'd be nice
1: the water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal yes really first go and call your husband and then come back I will show you both I
2: don't have a husband
1: you are right you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now
2: you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone.
1: I was counting on it.
2: No. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples.
1: He must be the crust! <laughs> hey, wait. <laughs> your water. You forgot your
2: rump.
0: I love that so much. Yeah, she, like she runs into town. Just to say come see a man who told me everything right like again like she's not a theologian she doesn't study things she's just like i met him let me tell you about him that's all you're asked to do that's all you're asked to do i want to end with this story intense image right here for you you might remember this from a number of years ago the story of the 20 coptic martyrs these men who were beheaded on the beach by isis militants one of these 20 these were coptic christians There was 19 who were Coptic Christians. One of them, a man by the name of Matthew Ayagira, wasn't a Christian. He was a Muslim. You think, what is uh, a Muslim being beheaded by ISIS? What's the deal with that? Well, he was just the wrong sect of Islam. So he was in prison with these 19 other guys, and um, he was so moved by them, so inspired by them, so touched by them, that when he was marched out onto the beach and he was given a chance, a final chance... To renounce his faith and reclaim allegiance to the correct form of Islam, they asked him, Do you renounce?" he said he said, Their God is my God, like, and he too died a martyr 's death. like people become Christian not because they 've heard all of like the intellectual stuff they become Christian because they 've met a Christian like they 've become Christian because they've met Jesus in somebody else. like look, I doubt that I very much doubt that any one of us will end up on a beach like this like facing our final moments with a blade at our neck. Like, God willing, that won't be our our story, but you'll be faced with a thousand and one situations. Little situations in school, little situations with friends on the weekends, situations with boyfriends and girlfriends, situations alone in the basement, like situations where you'll you'll be confronted with moments where like you will either choose to blend in and do what everyone else is doing, choose the path that everyone else walks Or you'll choose the truth. You'll choose, like, Christ. You'll choose, like, the unpopular path, the road that's less traveled. And you'll swim in the other direction. And, like, it'll be hard. Because, like, the current is moving against you. And, like, people will be annoyed by you. People will even hate you for it. People will persecute you. But what does Jesus say about that? He says, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted. Guys, the bottom line is this. That you're being confirmed not just simply for you. You're being confirmed for everybody, like, That you're going to encounter the rest of your life. You're being confirmed with the people in your school, for your family. You're being confirmed to bring hope into the world, to bring Jesus to others. So let's end in a prayer, and I'm going to turn it over to Claire. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, you are preparing us for deployment through the power of the Holy Spirit to be launched into the world to bring Jesus to others. Give us grace. Give us hearts that hunger to fulfill this mission and like Francis Xavier like all the saints may we be passionate for souls to bring them to you Jesus we pray all glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was together as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen